your word to us. Uh, we ask that you would make our hearts sensitive to respond to your voice. Um, we thank you that you are alive this morning, that you're at work, uh, that we get to meet with you. So would you uh, enable uh, Aaron to clearly communicate what's on his heart, what's on his mind, um, and would it uh, um, help accommodate the things that you are doing in our lives uh, and in our community. We love Jesus. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Two things really quickly. One is um, I have to give kudos. Uh, we've had a number of guys, but Drew in particular has busted his behind to get our live stream up and going the last couple of months to make it something that is enjoyable to watch. And then poor Drew, he pours his heart and soul into this. And then our internet service provider says, we decided not to give you internet on Sunday morning. So I, they didn't actually say that, but that is what happened. And so then all of a sudden our live stream gets cut off. And um, anyways, thank you, Drew, for working your tail off to keep us online. And all the others that have put time into that. Uh, second thing is, this morning's teaching actually was not on our teaching schedule. We put together a teaching schedule. I lay out the narrative and the stories, kind of decide how I want to make our way through. Um, and I missed a Sunday on the calendar. I forgot that there was a January 31st Sunday. And so uh, I was looking over the schedule and realized, oh, there's a week missing. And then I opened my Bible. I looked in Genesis 5, which I was planning to skip. Sometimes I skip things I don't want to teach on. And uh, I realized there was this profound connection between Genesis 5 and something else that I was not preparing to teach, but I've been like wrestling over and working on uh, kind of truths for my own life, because sometimes I learn things that I don't tell you about. Well, this morning, they come together magically, so I'm pretty excited about this. 1862. Is anyone around then? Looks like a couple of you might have been, yeah, no? 1862 was the pinnacle peak of the Civil War. It was actually in 1862 that the Emancipation Proclamation was drafted, and it was signed on the first day, January 1st of 1863. But also in 1862, there was a baby boy by the name of Christian born to German immigrants living in Newdorf, Russia. You guys know where the Black Sea is? Yep, just say yep. Black Sea over in Europe, the top of the Black Sea, there was a colony of German immigrants that have left Germany and settled in Russia, which is now actually Moldova. June 1st, 1862. Christian grew up, got married, had a couple of kids. One of his kids' names, name was Jacob. Jacob was born in 1887. Jacob immigrated with two of his brothers from Newdorf, Russia, to South Dakota in 1910. Jacob got married. Jacob had, I think, 15 children. One of them was Richard, born in 1914, one of the oldest. Richard eventually moved from South Dakota to Washington, looking for work in the 30s. 
And then in 1941, Richard moved to Pearl Harbor and took a job as a pipe fitter. Shortly after he moved to Pearl Harbor as a pipe fitter, Pearl Harbor was, of course, attacked in an unbelievable, historic uh, day of infamy. Richard, after uh, actually partway through the war, World War II, moved back to the continental U.S., got married to Vivian, and they had uh, five kids. One of their kids, their only son, was named Randall, born in 1951. Randall and his many great works are written in the Book of Heroes. Randall went on to have 13 children of his own, of which I am the third, and I was born in 1979. Boom. Boom. <laughs> and at the dawn of the 21st century, I had six of my own whom you have all probably met. They're not here, they're coming to third service, so I can say this, they're adorable, aren't they? <laughs> Pretty quick, right? Five quick generations. Here's another storyline. There's a man named Adam. Remember meeting him in our story? and a couple of boys that did not get along. So he did what any good parent would do, he had another. He had a son named Seth at the ripe old age of 130. Seth grew up, got married, at the age of 105, he had a son named Enosh. Enosh grew up, at the age of 90, gave birth to Kenan. Kenan grew up, and at the age of 70, gave birth to this guy, who grew up, and at the age of 65, had a son named Jared. How did you pronounce that name in the last service? Yes, thank you. Jared grew up, and at the ripe old age of 162, can you imagine having kids at 162? Had a son named Enoch. Enoch grew up, married, at the age of 65, had a son named Methuselah. Methuselah lived a long time. But at the age of 187, he had a son named Lamech. Lamech grew up. And at the age of 182, Lamech had a son named Noah. Remember Noah? Next character in our story. From the time of Adam until Noah's birth, According to this genealogy, it's about 1,056 years. If you stretch that out to the time of the flood, when Noah was 600, 1,656 years. It's a long time. Over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be reading you a couple of stories, one about the flood, one about the Tower of Babel. But I want to preface it this way. So my, my teaching this morning, I, I'm actually not really, I don't have points, but I'm going to end with four questions, but I'm going to do some setup to get us to these four questions. So here's the setup. What is a mythology? 
Many would describe these early stories in particular, the story of Noah, which is a preposterous story, a crazy story, unbelievable story. We describe it as a mythology. Mythology is a traditional story, often regarding humanity's origins. How did we all get here? Often with supernatural elements or supernatural beings. And the dictionary defines a mythology this way, a widely held false belief. Yeah? You guys tracking? Uh, in my own prep, as I was looking through this, I started uh, reading mythologies, ancient mythologies. Um, crazy stuff. Like, almost as crazy as Genesis kind of stuff, right? There is a mythology uh, widely held by the Inuits, uh, which, of course, we're familiar with, of a woman named, a young woman named Sedna, who has many suitors, none of which she finds to be pleasing, and she is uh, approached by a fulmer. Do you guys know what a fulmer is? Who knows what a fulmer is? Anyone? Go in once. No one. Wow. That's why you're here in church. It's a seagull, basically. It's, a, uh, it's like a petrel. She's approached by a fulmer and convinced to marry the fulmer. And the fulmer takes Sedna to his home, to an island, which is essentially Gull Rock. You guys have been there, right? And she gets there and she says, Ew. And summons her dad to rescue her. Um... She gets in the boat, her dad comes to rescue her, she gets in the boat, and they start heading back home, and the myth says that a flock of fulmers surrounded the boat, and by flapping their wings very aggressively, they created a great storm, and the storm threatened their lives. And Sedna's father, who is of a different breed than I am, threw his daughter overboard. Now. The story takes a little bit of a violent turn at this point, and I tried to share it without being too jarring in the first service. It did not go well. So I'm going to leave it out, and you're going to have to go find out what happens. But Sedna ends up at the bottom of the ocean in the netherworld, and now she is in control of what the ocean produces for food. And so, uh, the shaman who can access the spirit world, who can access the netherworld, has the, has the job of, of getting to Sedna, of finding her in the netherworld, accessing her spirit, and convincing her to supply us with food from the ocean. That is a mythology. It's a story. What about Genesis? Do you believe these stories? Do you believe they're actually true stories? And if you believe that they're true stories, 
Do you believe that you are part of the same story? That you're a character in that same story? Do you find your own story in the context of these stories? It is an interesting thing, bridging the divide between mythology, story, grand stories of our origin, and my everyday reality. How are the two connected? Well, I'll tell you how. The ancients connected the two. The grand story of Noah and the flood and my everyday reality, the way they connected the two was through genealogies. Because genealogies provide the real names of real people connected through real relationship. Verifiable names connected by verifiable relationship. If you jump ahead to Genesis 11 and you read those genealogies, the genealogies take us from Noah and all of his grandsons all the way to Abraham. And so by the time that Moses comes along and he writes the story of Genesis, right, he's led by the Spirit of God to write these stories, someone who was reading that story at that time could trace backwards and say, oh, Noah is my great-a-great-a-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather. Noah is not intended to be presented as a mythological character through an inspiring story intended to teach some moral. No, Noah was Lamech's kid, his son, the grandson of Methuselah, who went on to have three boys of his own. And the initial readers read these stories, they see the names, and they say, oh, I'm connected to these characters. These are my people. There's a lot of uh, weight being thrown around right now about what it means to be a real Christian, a true Christian. There's a lot of pressure to espouse particular viewpoints in a particular way. If I'm going to claim to be a Jesus follower and be legit in my claim. So this is what I'm going to do. Uh, I want to help you with this. How do I know that my beliefs are not just mythologies that I've accepted because I'm familiar with them, because I was, I was raised hearing about Noah and not Sedna. How do I know that my beliefs, the things that I've been taught, are, are real in my life and my ownership of them, my faith in them is, is real and of substance? The grounding point of God's story here that separates it from mythology is the real names of real people 
with real connections between me and the story. That's what the genealogies provide. And I would go further to say the grounding point of my belief that distinguishes it from mythology is the real names of real people with whom, because of my faith, I have a real connection. So I'm going to ask you four questions. These are the four questions that I have been actually working on and crafting for myself three or four years, maybe? Boiling it down as a bridge between my beliefs, mythologies, these big stories, and whether or not my belief has any substance or reality. You ready? Steve's ready. Name a disciple that you are making. If you've been around Church on the Rock for any period of time, you know about this, right? Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Jesus' final instructions. We talk about it here all the time. A disciple is not a vague concept. A disciple is a real person connected to me in real relationship and a relationship that I pursued out of obedience to the directive, make disciples, because I believed when I read that directive, I was not just reading a myth. I actually read that with the full understanding that my faith is because I am the disciple of a disciple of a disciple of a disciple of a disciple of Peter and John and Jesus himself. I am the great-grandchild of the twelve. And as indication that I've not just accepted these as mythologies, as a convenient cultural element of my beliefs, but that my beliefs are grounded in reality, write down the name. Who is that person that I'm transferring my faith to? Or am I kidding myself? Does my belief have no substance? Here's the second question. Name a vulnerable person who depends upon you for care. Is this not the very heart of the gospel message? James 1.27, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress. You can find the same principle throughout Scripture. You can define vulnerable any way, a widow, an orphan, a sick, dying, imprisoned, whoever it is. Is my faith of, of enough substance that it actually is connected to my reality through the real names of real people with real connections? Write down the name. Who is a vulnerable person that depends upon me for care? The reason I like these questions for me, and again, I didn't prep these for you guys, I prepped these for me, is these questions give me very little wiggle room to kid myself. Number three, ready for the third question? Name an enemy that you are making your friend. 
Once again, is this not the very heart of the gospel message? While you were sinners, Christ died for you. Luke 6.35, love your enemies and do good. Lend to them, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. You will be sons of the Most High. For he himself, the God that you say is not a myth, the God that you say is real, is kind to ungrateful and evil men. God is really nice to horrible people. And one of the indications that my faith is of substance and of, of, of value, legitimacy, is the real names of real people who have been terrible to me, and I'm making them my friend. Last one, name a spiritual authority to whom you are submitted. Name the person in a role of spiritual authority who could tell you to do something that you don't like and you would do it anyways. Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account let them do this with joy. Let them lead with joy, not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. My faith, the grounding point of my faith in the reality of my life is the real names of real people to whom my faith has connected me in real ways. When our faith takes on flesh in this form, the scriptures call it incarnation. When, when my immaterial beliefs become real. This was the whole ministry of Jesus. It's not abstract, it's not vague. There will come a day, Revelations chapter 3 talks about this, you can go read about it, where I'm going to stand before Jesus and he's going to say, Aaron Weiser, your name is written in my book. Your name is written in my book because you confessed my name. because I confess the name of his son, Jesus. <clears throat> real connection, real people, real relationship. God, would you give us a faith of consequence? A faith that is not disconnected from the reality of my world a faith that is not just consisting of, of stories about other people and other places, but a faith that places me as a character in your story, a faith that is expressed through relationship with the people that you have placed in my life and in my surroundings. 
We thank you for inviting us by your name, through the name of Jesus, into your great work. We're ready to be a part. We commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you guys stand?